Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. My name is Adam Munster Tiger. I'm joined by Ryan Konigsberg. Ryan, uh, I don't know uh, if Murphy's Law or Snowball, whatever the right way to talk about yesterday's game is, uh, whatever that correct wordage is, it was a rough day for CU. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the sentiment I've heard from people I talk to that are fans of the program are just, you know, they really thought this team was past having games like that. And it seems like every year for however many years now, um, they get one of those that is just, you know, you and I probably wanted to turn it off after the first quarter. And uh, I'm sure a lot of fans probably did turn it off after the first quarter. So, you know, um, there's been a lot of situations this year where, they go down 14-0 and they make that, you know, the play that they need to make to stay in the game. And they just didn't have it yesterday. And you kind of saw them for the first time all season kind of put their tail between their legs. That's the key, I think, for this football program moving forward is, is it a one-time occurrence or is it going to be a re- reoccurring theme as we go down the rest of this 2014 slate, which is going to be tough week in, week out. Going back to yesterday, the Buffs fall behind 28-0 in the first quarter and ultimately lose to USC on the road 56-28. They fall to 2-5 on the season, 0-4 in conference play. Now, CU is 0-9 all-time against the Trojans. They've really had their number even before Colorado joined the Pac-12 conference. And again, it was a record day that CU allowed USC to have. I remember back when uh, Matt Barkley set that passing Touchdown's record was six against CU in 2012, and then Cody Kessler comes out yesterday with a school record, seven touchdown passes. We were talking in our our video preview. I picked Colorado to lose this game in blowout fashion, but I thought it was going to be more the ground game. And I think, honestly, if USC wanted it to be the ground game, it could have been the ground game. It was one of those games where you felt like USC could kind of do whatever they wanted in terms of their offense. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they didn't run the ball well. They still 33 carries, 245 yards. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a little bit, in, you know, they were pounding it out late in the game. But it just seemed, like you said, one of those days where they could do whatever they want. Um, Kessler throws seven touchdowns. Well, he only threw the ball 26 times. Yeah. That's, you know, the 319 yards. That's insane. So it, it it's, I guess, disheartening because, you know, you saw this – Colorado team um, going into the second half of the season where, you know, things could get rough and right away things got rough before, you know, we could even blink. So that's a, a not, a, I guess, a good sign for people looking at this team. Yeah, before we get into the highs and lows, I'm going to bring up uh, some of these quotes. Nelson Spruce says, we thought we were making all the right steps in the last two games, but maybe the bye week hurt us and we got too relaxed and made too many mistakes. I kind of felt like the bye week maybe was at a bad time for this football team. You were so close to breaking through, and then you go, what is it, 13 days between games, and maybe you lose some of that competitive spirit, and then you have to go on the road, and you don't have that fan support. Yeah, I uh, I remember you saying that in our video preview, and I guess I, t- I was trying to take the glass half full approach, where I looked at it as, all right, they had 13 days to really grind it out and say, you know, we are close. And if we just, you know, practice harder than we ever have these next couple weeks, then we're going to be just fine. But it seemed like, obviously, what you, uh, what you predicted was a lot closer to what happened. Maybe um, it's not really great to hear Nelson Spruce say things like that, that, you know, they might have relaxed. And they, you know, this is a team and a program that can't afford to relax at all. So, uh, you know, you really hope that that's not the case and that hopefully they can get back on track uh, this week. 
No question. Uh, Mike McIntyre had the following to say. USC played a good game, to say the least, and we gave them too many opportunities in the first half on some holding calls and roughing the punter and things like that, things we worked on. We need to do a better job coaching them, and they need to do a better job listening on what they're supposed to do. Those were huge plays in the game. We weren't rushing the kicker. We were just ensuring it. We've got to do a better job of getting that across to our young men. Of course, referencing Donovan Lee, uh, roughing the punter, and we're going to get into the highs and lows. I felt that was a pretty questionable call, but don't put yourself in that position if you're Donovan Lee. Yeah, I, you know, I right away, I, I McIntyre talks about it a little bit, but I don't even know why you're sending anyone on that punt. It's just so, it seems like, and I guess the time side is 2020, but it just seems like that's your chance, you know, all right, let's calm things down, let's get this ball and go make an offensive drive. You don't need to try and do anything too crazy, but uh, it, the call could have gone either way. I just think, like you said, you, you can't put yourself in that position, especially at that juncture of the game where it seemed like you were on your last leg already. Another quote from Mike McIntyre is, you can't say it was the whole team. It was like three individuals on those plays. One was a freshman. One was a sophomore. The kid comes right up and apologizes after. He's hurt. We need to do a better job. I thought the effort was there, but they get rolling and they get momentum. It was ugly at times, but I think they kept trying. He talks about... Uh, you know, a freshman, a sophomore, again, kind of this reoccurring theme going back to youth as an excuse. At some point, you kind of want to stop hearing that. I, from one hand, I, I appreciate that Mike McIntyre is honest in answering this question. He says, this is what happened. Uh, it was it was a youthful mistake. On the other hand, as a fan, you kind of want the head coach to take the brunt of all the blame. Where, where do you fall in on this, Ryan? Yeah, and we're going to get into basketball a little bit later, but it's always interesting to me that one of the first things you'll hear Tad Boyle say at the beginning of any season is youth is not an excuse. And it's it's interesting to be, you know, covering a program where every year you hear one thing from the football coach and another thing from the basketball coach. And obviously they're not exact parallels and younger players normally do have more success in basketball. That being said, like you like you mentioned, it's it's something you kind of get tired of hearing and you know, eventually you have to either not have that youth out on the field where your upperclassmen are dominating um, who's playing, or you got to get to a point where that's you can't you know continue making that excuse. And Sefa Lufau had the following to say. He said, "It goes back to the little things. I put a lot on my shoulders. You can't have two picks and expect to win. It's the little things execution-wise. We shot ourselves in the foot too many times today." Sefo Lufa, one of the things we like about him is the fact that he does accept things. He will take the blame. He does not accept moral victories. He's definitely a very mature kid, and I guess when the game ends, uh, he says all the right things, but sometimes those decisions he needs to stop making in, in the actual game. Yeah, I talked about it on Twitter. It seems like he's always good for one that really makes you scratch your head every game, and unfortunately for the Buffs, that one came... His first pass. His first pass, and that's just, and that's actually maybe the second or even third, second time this year that it's come on the first. It happened pass. in the Hawaii game as yep. well. Yeah, but and I, that one wasn't quite as bad of a throw as this one, but th that's like the worst case scenario. Especially, I thought the defense would played a decent drive on the first drive. It seemed like uh, USC just completed some big third downs, but after that first drive of the defense, I thought to myself, all right, uh, offense goes back and scores here. Defense, you know, gets a little break and, and figures out where they went wrong in a couple spaces, and, and they're back in this game. 
I, that that pick, I just remember thinking to myself, wow, that defense has to go right back out there after they just kind of had a, a really worn-down five-minute drive with a, a couple conversions. I think that's where the game kind of went off the tracks, and it was so fast. And then after that, you know, it, it's a snowball going downhill. We're going to move on to our highs and lows. And, and starting with the highs, Tony Jones, I mean, the first two carries before the interception, it looks like he shot out of a cannon. It looks like you could almost just hand him the ball seven or eight times on that drive and waltz into the end zone. He continues to look really, really good as a senior running back for this Colorado team. Tony Jones and Philip Lindsay combined for 117 yards on just 21 carries, averaging 5.6 and 5.5 yards respectively. A lot of those yards from Philip Lindsay came in garbage time, but still a, a good game by both those guys. Hungry running backs. Yeah, I look at the stats here and seeing that Tony Jones had 11 carries for 62 yards. Obviously, they had to go away from the run game a little bit at a certain point, but I'd, I'd love to see them just continue to feed him when he's running like that. Um, and it's another one of those hindsight 2020 things. But why even ha- why are you th- uh, why are you even calling a throw on the play where Sefo throws that interception when that's two plays in a row? You know, it's kind of I've always been of the belief run it until they could stop it especially since they don't have a chance to go run over to the sideline and make an adjustment. You saw uh, Arizona State do that to CU on one of the early drives in that game where they just ran it over the tackle ten times, it seemed like, all the way down the field because CU had no idea how to stop it with the way they were pulling their guards. So, again, hindsight 20-20, but, I mean, just feed it all the way down the field if, if they're not going to stop it. It's, it's, it reminds me of, like, you're playing roulette, and you've bet on black ten times, and you've won every time. At some point, there, there's part of you that goes, we should maybe bet on red this time, and <laughs> it's going to strike at some point. But, you know, I agree with you. I, don't, I feel like, don't play roulette. It's not a good game. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of boring. But Tony Jones is a guy, I think, going forward, if this offense is going to continue to have some success moving the ball, more success getting into the end zone, that's a guy you really need to utilize as much as you possibly can because he clearly is motivated and playing good football as a senior. Colorado didn't play very well, but they sure look good out there with those matte black helmets and the enlarged logo. I, I like that new look. Yeah, I've, I've uh, been a bit of a hater on the enlarged logo for a lot of schools, and I might sound like a hypocrite. I think that one, it's not too big. It works for me, and um, I, I'm not sure if that was always in the plans to, after the blackout game, go to the gold decal on the helmet, but to me that looks a lot better. I like the way that pops out. Colorado's not doing so well with the, those black helmets. We're going to get into that with our lows. Continuing with the highs, the Buffs finished with 403 yards of total offense. That's the sixth straight game over 400 yards. A CU team has not accomplished that since 1994. We're kind of grasping at straws here, but you, you continue that 400 streak. That That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean... Not in this game particularly, <laughs> but just in general. Yeah, it's impressive, and I think we've talked about it a little bit um, previously, but I think... You kind of see that um, Lindgren is in a bit of a rhythm with the way he wants the offense to run um, and the pace that it's running at and that sort of thing. Obviously, there's questionable play calls here and there that uh, stand out in most people's minds above the rest. But um, from a broad perspective, you're seeing uh, this offense work the way that it seems like he wants it to work in a, a lot of senses. Shea Fields catches a, an 18-yard touchdown pass in his return to Los Angeles. I was tweeting out at the time, I, I bet he wished he could enjoy that moment a lot more. Obviously, a, a former USC verbal commit, and Steve Sarkeesian, the, the head coach there at USC, took a pass on him once he took over there. 
We also saw Shea Fields out there get some punts. Uh, he was returning punts late in the game. Maybe kind of grooming him to replace Nelson Spruce uh, in a couple years? Yeah, I liked that uh, idea to get him out there. There was a couple different um, things they tried out, and that was one of the ones that I thought was a productive thing. I wouldn't actually be surprised to see him back there next week. I thought he did well back there. He wasn't sketchy with any of his catches and um, obviously showed he's a little more shifty than Nelson Spruce when he gets the ball back there. He is more shifty. The thing I worry is his frame in that role. I mean, he looks very fragile back there. You're almost kind of just holding your breath, hoping that he doesn't get broken in half on those returns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a big thing with P. Rich. Everyone wanted him uh, returning stuff. And obviously it was a little bit different with P. Rich because he was so valuable to the team that you couldn't afford to have him injured. But, you know, I don't know if you can play scared in that sense of, oh, we can't put him back there because if he gets hit hard, you know, this is college football. So you're going to get hit hard. Um, you got to put the guy back there who can make the biggest play. You look at, you know, Trendon Holiday in the NFL. He's, what, 5'5", five, five, and he's returning punts back there. So, And he takes some licks sometimes, but, he, you know, he gets back right back up. So I think um, if you if you believe that Shea Fields is, gives you your best chance to make a play back there, then I think he's the guy that needs to be back there. Nelson Spruce tied a CU school record for single-season touchdown receptions with 11, matching Derek uh, McCoy's mark that he set back in 2003. He has nine catches for 69 yards and one touchdown, and you think it's like a bad performance by Nelson Spruce. He's really set the bar high for himself. Oregon State brackets him. He doesn't have a big day. He doesn't really go off too much against USC. It's starting to look like, okay, at one point, maybe he was actually going to entertain the thought of leaving early. We, we we didn't really hear from Nelson Spruce, but just in terms of the scouts coming out to practice, now I, I would think, okay, he's probably coming back for a senior year. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the offense going away from him or defense going, but it's still to me it still seems like he's open by a wide margin every time out there. Um, the Oregon State game was a little bit different because they you know, obviously made a point to take him out of the game, but like you said, 9 for 69 in a TD isn't, isn't horrible, especially in a game where your quarterback only throws for 143 yards. Yes. So, I don't think I think uh, the the steam has definitely cooled down on the Nelson Spruce of the NFL thing. But I also don't want to overstate the fact that like that he's declining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I do think it's more about what the defenses are doing and. Um, he, he completes a pass. He's now 3-for-3 three three in his career. We were joking uh, outside the practice gates that he was going to uh, attempt a pass in this game, and, of course, it happens. Uh, he got Some of those yards got pulled back, but, shoot, man, Nelson Spruce uh, is a pretty darn good uh, passer when given the opportunity. Yeah, I, I didn't like using that play in that situation. I, they've been working on that one. We, I've, we saw that all the way back in spring, I think, or maybe even last season. They were working on that one for a long time, and I think they were down 28-0 when they pulled it out, or at least 21-0. I didn't, I didn't like uh, wasting that one, putting that one on film in that game. Well, you're, I mean, you don't want to take a defeatist attitude in that situation, and you need a spark. And I think trick plays always spark a team. And you've seen this team in other games claw themselves back from deficits. I, I don't really have a problem with it. I, I just prefer seeing the trick play in a more ballsy time. Like, uh, I was just watching earlier today, the, the Rams were yeah. punting from their own, inside their own 20, and they called the fake punt, and I was like, that is so awesome. That's just stupid is what that is, but it worked <laughs> out for them. It worked out, and it, then, I don't know if you saw later, the, the <laughs> running back fumbled. That's Aside from the point, I like to see 
a coach called a trick play when no one is expecting you to call a trick play because if you call a trick play here, you're taking a big risk. And There's then, no risk in calling a trick play down 28 points. And then when it doesn't work out, everybody on the Stampede Elite message board is calling for you to get fired. <laughs> well, no one can question Nelson Spruce anymore. If they call a play that he throws the ball uh, and it doesn't work out, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad call. Moving along, I put this in the highest category. Ryan, tell me if this belongs here or not. Jordan Gerke accounts for 90 yards of offense, two offensive possessions with him at the helm. He scores on a 19-yard touchdown run. His first score is a buff. I love dual-threat quarterbacks. I've always admitted that. I'm biased in that sense. Watching him run 19 yards for that touchdown was probably the, the best thing I saw from a CU standpoint in that football game. Yeah, um, I guess it could go in the highs if you're into reading uh, message board posts that Jordan Gerke should be the starter. Um, like like you said, it was really impressive. I saw a lot of things from him where, where I thought, wow, that they could they could have used that in a lot of situations this season. Um, and you saw that they had more success in the uh, in the red zone, or at least you know he made that big play. And you have to think to yourself that maybe that he should be getting more burned down there or maybe you know they should have a couple plays it's just it seems like he's fleet-footed enough that you can you even you know run a little option out of the spread with out of the spread with him or out of the shotgun so yeah i guess that's a high to know that he went in there and he held his own it's good to know at the very least that if Cepho got injured you're not uh going into panic mode putting him out there and this is I mean, you've got to take that with a grain of salt. You're talking about mop-up time against backups for USC, a program that doesn't have a lot of depth. And so I'm not saying Jordan Gerke should be the starting quarterback for Colorado. I'm just saying that it was nice to see that athleticism out of him. It sounds like you agree. Shane Callahan made his debut at right guard in mop-up time. Sam Cronshage, uh, Jonathan Huckins, and Jared Coe also got some game reps in during the, the fourth quarter. I'm going to put this in the highest category, getting offensive linemen game reps, even if it is in mop-up duty. I guess that's you know a good thing. You don't want to be put in that position, but when you're in that situation, it's good to get some of those young guys reps. Justin Solis recorded his second career sack. Kickoff coverage, that's been a much maligned unit for, for Colorado this season, but CU limited uh, USC to an average of 17 yards on three kickoff returns. You'll take that every week. Larry Zimmer, uh, longtime voice of the Buffs on KOA, had his streak of 251 games in a row snapped. Obviously, that's not in the highest category, but the fact that he's doing better, it sounds like he's going to be released from the, the hospital soon, according to CUSID. That's obviously great news for, for Colorado, and hopefully he can be back in the booth here pretty soon. I know McIntyre referenced last Tuesday that he's hoping that he's back in the press box for the UCLA game. We don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, definitely uh, it's going to be great to have him back around. Yeah, definitely. I, I was glad that I uh, didn't have to listen to the game on the radio because I think it would have been really, really depressing to not hear his voice on there. So uh, I'm hoping that when we get up there in the press box against UCLA, we'll see Zim. Now we got to move on to the lows, and there's there's quite a bit to talk about here from the Colorado's loss at USC. The Buffs are now one in ten when they wear those black helmets. Something something's got to change there because those black helmets look pretty good. They're two eighteen and one all time in the state of California. This is like the your recruiting main recruiting grounds, and one of the things you can sell these California kids now since you've joined the Pac-12 is you get to go back home 
But those kids don't want to be embarrassed when they go back home. So that's that's obviously not a good situation. Yeah, obviously you have to think, you know, Shea Fields and guys like that had tons of fe- friends and family out there. And then they got to go face those friends and family after the game, you know, in the tunnel before they leave. And it's an awkward situation for everyone. I've been there and no one really knows what to say because <laughs> everyone got so excited for that game. And then, you know, you don't know what to say to the player other than, oh, like, you, you played well, good touchdown, or whatever it is. And uh, that's – you hope that they don't tell uh, their recruits that they're hosting about how awkward that is. <laughs> the Trojans have now outscored CU 332-99 to in the nine games played between these programs all time. Those were all wins for USC. As I mentioned earlier, the Buffs have never beaten the USC. This is just a USC – team that like has Colorado's number and I had a bad feeling about this game going into it and I I don't know how much the history of this matchup between these two teams played into it but obviously USC as McIntyre said they have a good record against a lot of teams and they probably have an unbeaten record against a lot of teams they haven't played a ton but nine and nine and oh for USC against CU at some point uh Colorado, you gotta you gotta get over that hump there's many humps you have to get over as a program right now and that's one of them yeah It'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, who Mike McIntyre would would say is the team, you know, that they have to beat eventually to kind of propel them to coming back. Obviously, it used to be Nebraska. I think you can, like Arizona, the Arizona schools. Well, that I'm I'm talking about, you know, the the big quintessential. Net, when we get that win, that's you know, Colorado returns because it could you could say Oregon, you could say, but I think USC sure. is the one. That you know, especially that never having beaten them as a program, I think the the day that Colorado beats USC is going to be um, a day where that will be looked back on as a huge turning point. Especially if it happens at the Coliseum, right? Without question, Sefo Lufau with just 143 passing yards, two interceptions, while Cody Kessler really feasts on, on CU secondary, 319 passing yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. This was. Unquestionably, Sefo Lufau's worst performance this year, and it was also the CU secondary's worst performance of the season. Yeah, uh, all season when I see a quarterback drop back there and they get a lot of time and I see that they're looking deep, I've been pretty confident that there's going to be someone there to stop it. Yesterday, when I, as soon as I saw you know Cody Kessler hit the back of his drop and, and pause for a second and look deep, I thought, oh, here we go, there, there's another touchdown. Um Obviously, it's probably their biggest challenge that they've faced so far. It seems like USC just breeds five-star receivers with tons of speed and athleticism. So that was tough. But, man, I I picked Kenneth Crawley as my my pick to click, and I thought the secondary was actually going to have a decent game back there, and it was definitely uh, the opposite of that. The front seven for CU wasn't much better. I mean, again, going back to early in the show, we talked to – about the fact that USC kind of could do whatever they wanted on offense. The Buffs defense allowed Buck Allen to average 8.5 yards per rush on 15 attempts and Justin Davis to average 8.8 yards per rush on 11 attempts. Both those guys rushed for more than 100 yards on very few carries. Uh, Missed tackles, missed assignments, not filling their gaps. It was just a a bad day for the CU defense overall. Yeah, I mean... You never want the other team's running backs averaging more per carry than your quarterback is averaging per throw. That's just uh, that's going to be a recipe for disaster anytime you see that stat. So um, I thought the front seven again. I'll go back to that first drive. I thought the the uh, front seven looked really good in that drive. They were getting into the backfield. I thought there was a couple holdings that uh, USC offensive line got away with. 
And I, I was thinking, you know, maybe they were going to be able to get pressure on Kessler. Again, I think it was just um, that snowball effect when everything started going downhill and maybe they let off the gas a little bit and didn't have that drive to get into the backfield like they started with. But it's hard to find anyone, anyone who played a good game. And I, obviously, when all was said and done, they didn't as well. I think this game was a reality check in terms of where this football team is, talent-wise, speed-wise, size-wise. Chido Bayouze, in, in one play, is caught kind of looking in the backfield because it was a play-action play. And he's literally just a split second late on his read to get back deep. And the receiver's already far past the cornerback, far past Cheeto Bay, over the top, touchdown. It looked like it was varsity versus JV in that situation. And Cheeto Bay Awuze is a really good football player. He's made a lot of really good plays for Colorado. He's going to be a future NFL guy, in my opinion. But in that play, it was just one of those, wow, USC, as McIntyre said, really has some players. Yeah, I, I, a couple plays that stood out to me were um, early in the game. The second interception that uh, Cepho had when um, Bryce Bobo just got the wood laid on him, it seemed, it just seemed like, like like you said, kind of a varsity versus J, JV thing. It just seemed like they were feasting out there. The defense went out there just like, we're going to blow everyone up, and it didn't seem like it was that hard for them to do. It should, You should usually pay the price as a defense when you're going out there trying to lay the uh, the hit stick on every play, and it seemed like they were just having fun with it. Yeah, that play you referenced where Bryce Bobo gets just absolutely blown up and USC comes away with the ball. Bryce tweeted out last night, I've never been hit like that in my, I think it was like 14 or 15 years of football that he referenced. Uh, and, yeah, that was a, a tough hit for him. He suffered a rib contusion. He's listed as day-to-day for UCLA. The only buff, what, I guess this would go into the highest category, the only buff that suffered an injury in this game, it sounds like it, a good chance he'll be back. When they say day-to-day, usually they, they're back. They weren't close enough to any of the USC players for there to be any contact injuries. Wow. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving along. The Pac-12 officiating, man, I I really would like one week to just go, gosh, that was a really well-officiated football game. There were four plays, and Ryan, you tell me if any of these plays you feel like I'm nitpicking here, the Pac-12 officiating, and if you had any other plays. There was the one where Tyler McCulloch, it looked like he had a, a, a beautiful ball actually thrown by Cepho in the end zone. It looked like he had a chance to catch that. And Hayes Pollard, uh, USC linebacker, the guy that was uh, much maligned for his uh, lack of a play on the ASU Hail Mary earlier this season, <laughs> looked like he grabbed Tyler's hand, his right arm, pulled it back. So Tyler was trying to make a one-handed grab, almost did, but didn't make that catch. Should have been pass interference. That And that's supposed to be the easiest call for the referee to make. when, when As soon as they see the receiver going out with one arm like that, they're, they look to the other arm to see what's yeah. going on. And you should usually see that he's grabbing on there. We talked about the Donovan Lee roughing the punter flag. Honestly, he was kind of blocked into it, and there wasn't really that much contact. Uh, honestly, uh, you let that go. Yeah, uh, he was definitely blocked into it. It's funny, Donovan Lee is so small. It it almost felt like the USC lineman could have just picked him up and thrown him into the punter to get that penalty. But it, it, that's basically what it looked like. He kind of went and got bounced right into him. Um it seemed like, I don't know if it's a lazy call, it just seemed like the referee saw the punter down and, and threw his flag. And that was really costly. I mean, it was already 14 nothing at that time. Uh, you, you're Colorado, you're going to get the ball back. It's still a game at that point. There was also a, a lack of a holding call on, on one of USC's touchdown 
passes early in the game. And then there was a questionable illegal blocking call on CU on that fake play where Nelson Spruce throws it back to Sefo Lufau. That, to me, looked like a legal play. Again, each one of these is just, I'm not saying the referees cost Colorado the football game. They would not have won that game, even if some of the uh, you know, calls went to the benefit of Colorado, but it seemed like all those 50-50 calls or even calls that shouldn't have been made were made against Colorado. Yeah, and I don't. sometimes when I have a game like that, I feel like I, I'm looking at it through the wrong lens, and maybe, you know, USC fans uh, could point out a bunch of calls that they think went wrong for them, but I feel like I'm usually pretty good about knowing uh, when Colorado gets a call in their favor, and like you said, it seemed like the questionable calls were all going against them, which was just... It felt like it was just all part of the uh, the script that, uh, that was, um, like you said, the, the kind of Murphy's Law. Everything's going to go wrong today. We're going to you know, get a roughing the punter when uh, Colorado can't afford it at yeah. all. It just seemed like it was uh, one of those days that it, it was all going to come down on the buffs. And lastly, in this Lowe's category, I just put down confidence because I feel like after what happened in Southern California – you might be starting from uh, you know square one in terms of confidence, especially you had the bye week, you kind of started the second half of the season, and then you have a result like that. How do you get this confidence back at this point? Yeah, if I'm Mike McIntyre, I almost want to go in uh, to a meeting and just say, all right, we're throwing that one out. You know, that one is an aberration, and kind of maybe show some film of Cal, the Cal game, and you know, show make sure they remember that they were you know really close and they thought they were almost over that hump. And, you know, even the Oregon State game. Um, but it is a little bit um, worrisome to think that, you know, they could go right back to where their confidence was, um, you know, during last season. And like we've talked about on the show already is this schedule doesn't necessarily get much easier. Um, UCLA is down. It seems like uh, they're definitely not at what, what, they, what we thought they were, if you will. But... Uh, there's no really uh, confidence builders, I guess you would say. No slump busters out there on the schedule remaining. Can, can Rick George schedule UMass again this year? <laughs> or uh, Charleston Southern? How is this team going to respond? I, I feel like the fact that they have two home games coming up is a good thing for this program because they have played pretty darn well in Boulder under McIntyre. Yeah, um, I think that's kind of got to be a big thing for them is – all right, we're coming home, you know, home sweet home. This is what, this is our safe haven. Going back into the friendly confines of Folsom Field, that has to be kind of a, a thing that they have to rally around. I think um, we have two home games. Let's 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 get one of them. You know, we're gonna get one of these two home games. I think that kind of has to be the uh, rallying cry for them. During our midseason show, Ryan, you weren't able to join us, but Tyler and I were talking about the, the toughest game still on the schedule. I thought UCLA at home was a, a more winnable game than USC on the road. And I obviously definitely feel like that now <laughs> yeah. after what happened out uh, in Los Angeles on Saturday. I'm not going to predict CU to beat UCLA, but this is a UCLA team that's been pretty darn disappointing this season. If you looked at the Pac-12, I mean, this was a team we had our preseason preview show and most of us had them in the college football playoff being one of the top four teams in the country i feel like uh, this is a team that uh, is pretty darn beatable yeah uh, you're obviously not supposed to be biased as a reporter and have anything against any teams but usc i mean ucla made me look stupid so now i'm mad at them <laughs> um but i do agree that this game and i would have said it before this game is more winnable than usc um 
it's just USC just seems so much more powerful and stronger and faster and in a sense UCLA is but they just don't obviously like you've seen they haven't clicked the big thing that worries me about UCLA is just Brett Hundley uh, on broken plays um, I think it seems like CU has the biggest problem with those and I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, Brett Hundley scrambling 70 yards down Folsom Field more than once. So that's the number one thing that I think um, maybe has to be a focus for the defense is maybe have a spy on him the whole game because that's where, even if uh, your, your defense is playing good, that's where, you know, you get gashed. They play UCLA, uh, and then they play Washington at home. Ryan, what's the percent chance that they get a win in one of those two home games? Put it at 33.3, I think. 3-3-3-3-3. Yeah, that's all the way across the board. I think, uh, I feel like that's, is, am I, where do you Where do you stand? I, I don't think I'm being too generous. There. You're reading my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. It just seems like, uh, I think Washington is obviously going to be the better chance. Um, I don't even know about that, honestly. Really? I think Washington, with their front seven defensively, they might be just as tough, if not tougher, than UCLA. just seems to me like the stars always shine against CU, and I, I don't think uh, Washington has that one guy who really scares you. And to me, it's just, I just think, I just envision Brett Hundley just destroying the secondary and running around, like I said. So maybe that's just me being a little bit skewed there. Um, valuing Hunley, who hasn't obviously hasn't had a great season more than I should, but something about just Washington not having you know the one guy who I think is so much better than anyone on CU's team. One question I have uh, for you, Ryan, is we, we talked earlier about Jordan Gerke, his athleticism, and how good he looked on that 19-yard run. We've seen CU struggle in the red zone. We've seen them struggle particularly down by the goal line. You have a guy like Jordan Gerke, and you see this with dual thread guys. It's such a valuable commodity to have down there by the goal line. On the other hand, you hear that that saying that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Sefo Lufau has the command. He's a captain. If he is put in a position where he's being subbed out when they're on the goal line, does that disrupt the team chemistry? You have to kind of weigh out the benefit of this. And the coaches at CU have said nothing about Jordan Gerke being part of a red zone package. I don't think they're going to do that. Just for food for thought, would this be something that could help this this Colorado football team out with? Yeah, I don't. I definitely do think that would be um, at least worth a try. You got to do something. That's this is two years in a row now that they are atrocious, for lack of a better word, inside the twenty yard line. So. I think having Gerke out there would be something that w- would uh, at least uh, help them. I don't know. I don't think Sefo is in a position, even as a captain and a, and a leader, to you know uh, throw a hissy fit that he's not in there and you know potentially disrupt the chemistry. I think uh, he, uh, and as much as anyone else would tell you that he hasn't been performing down there, but. I also think having Jordan Gerke in there uh, gives them a chance to open up the playbook a little bit, which they definitely haven't done down there. I think, you know, you can have some rollouts. You even see, I mean, and they could even do this with Sefo. You see Peyton Manning even do it uh, down down in the goal line where the, he, you know, rolls right. 
But with Gerke in there, you know, he can roll right, and if he doesn't see something, he can split up and score, which is actually what Sefo did on one play. So credit to him for that. I just – I I can't watch them uh, try and run it between the tackles. Anything but that, I do not I, – I can't uh, handle that anymore. We've seen in recent years the hashtag, is it November yet, on Twitter from fans that are frustrated with the Colorado football program, looking forward to the men's basketball season. I've seen it a couple times this year. I think it's a benefit to the fact that Colorado football has been more competitive. We haven't seen it uh, an overwhelming amount of the, the time. But uh, if things go south in the next few weeks, I think we're going to see it a lot more. Yeah, and it almost is November, so uh, that'll work out nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ran into to, uh, Tad Boyle. What, what is he ordering at La Peep in the morning uh, for fans that are very curious? <laughs> you know, I, I saw him on the way out, and I was talking to him and his wife, and they were saying that uh, they couldn't, they didn't want to wait an hour at the buff. And I just, I don't think Tad Boyle should have to wait in line at the buff. And I was asking you, like, am I crazy to think that every single person in Boulder, like, should know who Tad Boyle is and not care that he gets bumped in front of them? I know that, like, not everyone is a sports fan, but no. Tad Boyle doesn't need to wait. He should have his own table at the buff that's, like, reserved for whatever exactly. he wants Exactly. That, that scene from uh, Goodfellas where they just... All of a sudden, these waiters put together these tables. That's what it needs to happen with Tad Boyle and Boulder. Yeah, I, like I couldn't, I, I couldn't even conceptualize that. Afterwards. I was like, Tad Boyle has to sit and wait in line like the rest of us. So he went to the peep just like me because I didn't want to wait in it either. Um, and I don't know what he ordered, but I had biscuits and gravy, and it was awesome. You know, Rick George actually might want to before he goes into the office tomorrow. Stop by the Buff, get some <laughs> Saddleback pancakes, and drop them off at Tad Boyle's office. Seriously, yeah. Anything you can do to make sure Tad Boyle is happy. I think if CU uh, was really a basketball school, that Tad Boyle doesn't have to wait in line. Obviously, uh, CU basketball practices started here a couple weeks ago. I've been able to make it by some. Uh, Ryan, you've stopped by as well. Um, it, it's definitely refreshing all, all, in all seriousness. The uh, the responses you get from Tad Boyle for any question, it's really thought out. It's, it's genuine. It's not... Uh, coach speak and and I really appreciate him as a coach as a media member yeah I've always really appreciated that um and I think it's maybe something that we uh have a different view of it because we're so used to covering a losing team when we cover football that the coaches kind of get a little more snippety and uh aren't quite as honest I think being so successful allows Tad Boyle to be a little more honest um but regardless of what it is, I, I do really appreciate Tad. And even when, you know, like today when you see him in public, he's always uh, very, very graceful and nice to everyone around him. You know, he's not the type of guy who uh, walks straight pattern. He'll go around and shake everyone's hand, um, and I like that. He flat out gets it, Tad Boyle does. Yeah. And uh, they're going to start their season here before too long. We're going to have another Buff Stampede radio show previewing the men's basketball season, talking about it for two minutes here at the end of a show is not doing that program due justice for, for you know the, the amount of attention that should be shined upon their program. We're also going to be uh, back next week. Ryan, you'll be in the press box with me against UCLA. We'll see if Colorado can be a little bit more competitive against the Bruins. Um, I, I don't even want to say, keep saying moral victory anymore, but... Maybe if you play them in this game, you kind of venture back into that category. I see you cringing over here, Ryan. Yeah, I'd, if this is the UCLA team that we thought was going to be the UCLA team coming into the season, I might say that. But they've they've looked so beatable that I'm not necessarily impressed if it's 37-30 or, or something like that. I think 
Um, maybe I'm just tired of the word moral victory. I, I am too, Ryan. <laughs> I really am. I agree with you. We're going to let the, this uh, UCLA game and, and the matchup upcoming for Colorado kind of marinate a little bit more as we come back to you later in the week with our pregame video. Thanks for tuning in.